0: the open side for Bette off the here to Simon who's quick Pete Simon looking for Corrine Bette back to Simon
1: Good evening and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the People's Podcast is providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm Ando, with me is Mitch, and unfortunately in this moment we are not joined by Lockie. He's actually like busy doing proper rugby stuff with RA out at the Oceania 7, so we might be hearing from him later in the pod. But Mitch, do you ever get just a little bit, um, I'm not sure if jealous is the right word, but just overawed that Lockie actually like works in the game and you and i just kind of commentate from the side and put our two cents in and he's actually in amongst it in trenches as it were
2: yeah i mean he's very lucky in some regards i guess to to be able to do that and to get a paycheck at the end of the day um both of us would love to be able to to do something like that one day maybe but uh, i mean the amount of effort and and work that he puts into i know the product that he puts out on his articles and um his coverage on his match days like it's a lot of work, and so I don't know 100% yet whether I sit here and think that I want to do that because it might take away some of the enjoyment of rugby and just, you know, yep. it's all rugby 24-7, but... Um, maybe one day. Maybe, yeah, maybe one day. Well, it's actually
1: kind of a good segue in that um you and I and Lockie have reached the end of what's been a pretty long year. So this is unofficially, unless something some reason has us jump on in the next month or so this is going to be the last podcast for 2023 on the pick and drive rugby pod um it has been a hell of a year it has it has definitely kept us busy and it is incredibly exciting to get to this point in the year where we can say mate we've done a pod nearly have we done a pod every single week or nearly every single week of the year
2: it feels like it like this is episode 66 (laughs) in numbers so whatever that equates to it feels like and, and just like being able to reflect yeah, with on midweeks. what this year has been reflecting on what this year has been when we look back to where we were at the start of the year and going into Super Rugby Pacific and then the World Cup and how optimistic we were Eddie Jones had been signed and what Rugby Australia was going to do and what Australian Rugby what what goals they were going to kick in 2023 to sit here at the end of it and sort of think geez the the ball was well and truly dropped this year and it can only get better in 2024 hopefully. Um, Yeah, it's been a pretty big year and a lot of content to cover.
1: Very much. And it looks like things aren't going to be slowing down. One thing we will just quickly touch on within this intro is the news that there's some big names, particularly Mark Noonganitawase, who at this point in time, there's uh, some news articles going around that he uh, is having conversations with the Roosters leadership about whether or not he might be signing for them. In the future, he comes off contract at the end of 2024. Before I get your thoughts on that, I will just say that, Um, Morgan Tirunui did mention that he is, uh, his understanding is that Marky Mark was offered a longer term contract by the Waratah slash RA, but he decided to turn it down because he believed his value would increase by the time contract negotiations came around, which is true, which is definitely true and accurate at this point in time. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one to think. How did you feel when you kind of heard these news, heard this news and what jumped into your mind?
2: I'm, I'm not sure what to think of the rumors so far. Like the, the news itself was officially leaked by some NRL correspondent, some guy that that uh, writes for NRL and, and and does that sort of side of the game. So in a lot of ways, it's being reported as kind of the revenge for the Joseph Sueli signing that the Waratahs and, and Rugby Australia have made um, for him to come across at the end of next year, which is going to be massive for our game to see. What sort of talent he can be and and the interest that he brings so part of me thinks it's just uh, a little bit of um you know nrl trying to get back at at um rugby australia for signing so he's he's like a revenge signing is what it's been spoken about the other part of me thinks that like morgan Uh tournui was sort of hinting at is that he he's using it as contract negotiation tactics which some other former nrl players or current nrl players have done even this year alone, there's a few players that yep. have come out and said, oh, yeah, I'm talking with Rugby Australia. And then the NRL end up giving them a few hundred thousand dollars more on their contract to stay. So whether that's what's actually yep. happening as well. Um, I know he did grow up playing league, and that's that's something that he would probably personally want to be doing. Um, but at the same time, like we got a home World Cup and a Lions Series in 2025. So if he was to leave at the end of 2024, he's removing the chances of doing t- those two things, which will not ever come back again so um for him to jump ship i would be very very surprised
1: i mean look why would you jump ship when what you're really doing is giving yourself actually no no i can see why some people would really really love to jump on a bus and head out uh to manly or or to to penrith or maybe down to bankstown like i can really see the positives of doing that instead of traveling overseas and going to different european countries for end of season tours and for having rugby world cups and lines i can see the appeal now i do just <laughs> need to shout out steve Lenthal steve um as an absolute legend did send through a meme to me just moments ago but unfortunately it's too late for us to get it on the pod right now we will chuck it out in our tweets or um retweet what he's done but he's another quality simpsons meme about this whole no I'm going to, need to ask a saga, so tonight what we're going to be doing is we're going to be touching on a few different things we're going to quickly do a wrap up of the Oceania sevens competition, which is what Loki is out at currently then we're going to go through and reveal the winners of the inaugural eddies, our annual or yearly trophy award ceremony for things like the best. Uh, rookie or emerging player greatest try best team of the year and best coach of the year so very very excited to talk through those and reveal who it is that has received the gong before we talk through just briefly the um the exclusive interview, I guess we would call it, exclusive interview that Hamish McLennan did with Nick McCardle on Stan. You can see it now for anybody who has a Stan subscription. It goes for about 30 minutes. It's pretty interesting. Um, and we'll dive into that a bit more before we then go into the question and answers. So many of you absolute legends have sent in your thoughts and your questions about the year in rugby, and we can't wait to dive into those. So why don't we jump on into the next segment, Mitch? Let's go. All right, we are now actually joined by Lockie, who is out at the Oceania Rugby Sevens Championship at Ballymore. Lockie, number one, good to see you, mate. Number two, like, where are you? What are you doing? Talk us through it again.
0: Hello. Hello, everyone. I'm in a closed, hopefully soundproof room inside Ballymore. Uh, We're covering the Oceania Sevens uh, for rugby.com.au. And the Aussie girls have just won gold, which was awesome. Um, So down on the field, they're running around with the Oceania Trophy, but I'm sure they've got their eye on the Seven Series, which kicks off in about three weeks. But a good win against Fiji um, to take out the title, 26-0. And uh, they won four of their five games against a New Zealand development side as well. And the other one was a draw. So unbeaten weekend for the girls. Uh, the boys, not so much chop, so we'll leave them uh, by the wayside for a little bit.
1: <laughs> it, it was very interesting as, because um, I knew you're out there, I, I kind of tuned into a couple of the games across the weekend, um, and it was interesting. I had the opportunity to go back and watch replays of the Aussie men's and Aussie women's, and I had a limited time to be able to do so, and I just kind of loved the fact that I just went for the women's games, because I just knew how damn good our Aussie women's seven team are. They are just incredible in everything they do.
0: They're they're ridiculously talented. Um, We saw Maddie Levi racked up eight tries um, across the tournament. So she was top scorer. Uh and Levi almost set seven of them up, I reckon. Seven of our eight, So a bit of a sister act there. But they've just they've just got star power all across the deck. Um, Sharni Small, who's formerly Sharni Williams, she was still running around, keeping the young girls honest. Uh, but in fairness to the boys, um, I gave them a bit of stick, but they did play really well. Um, they only lost to Fiji by six, and it was goal-kicking. Mm-hmm. And same deal with New Zealand. It was goal-kicking again. So 28-22 and 14-10. Um, they go down to the two best teams in the world. So it's just a matter of inches for the Aussie boys.
1: Brilliant. Well, um, can you just give us a bit of a heads up in a broader sense for people who may not follow uh, Sevens rugby particularly closely? What was this Oceania competition and what did it mean for the teams taking part?
0: For sure. Uh, So the Oceania Sevens serves as both a regional tournament, um, just as a bit of a lead up into the Sevens series, but it also serves as a qualifying tournament. So uh, there's an Olympic division of which Australia wasn't a part because we'd already qualified. So there were, I think, 14 teams gunning for just one uh, Olympic spot. Actually, scrap that. There were 12 men's teams going for one men's Olympic spot and eight women's teams going for one spot. So we saw um, Samoa qualify in the men's which was amazing. Um, They managed to beat a couple of terrific teams like Tonga, uh, Papua New Guinea were a bit of a hit in the men's as well. And then in the women's, Fiji surprisingly hadn't progressed through the World Series, but they dominated the the field. And so they'll go back and defend their Tokyo bronze um, after backing up this one. But through the repercharge, so the runners-up also get another chance um, so Tonga and PNG will get another crack in the men's and Papua New Guinea will also get a crack in the women's charge so still a bit of life left there uh, and also the chance for them to get a spot on the Challenger series which is the step below uh, the rebranded 7 series so plenty on offer a huge um, Pacific population in Brisbane as you can imagine so it's just been heaving really good fun lots of good music I had a Curry that could knock your socks off about an hour ago that I'm sure I'm going to regret later. And it's just been a fantastic couple of days out. So really, really glad to share the good book of sevens and especially leading into what's going to be an awesome uh, rebranded seven circuit.
1: How very, very good. Well, thank you for that quick update. Why don't we jump on now, team, into the Eddie Awards. Now we got Lucky. Let's go through and reveal the winners of the Eddies in 2024. Let's go. 2023, let's go.
2: Let's reveal the winners for the 2023 Pick and Drive Rugby Awards, affectionately titled The Eddies. Now these uh, last week, if you didn't tune into the podcast, how this worked is we all nominated one nomination for each category. We then opened up the voting to you, our fans via our social media uh, channels. And this is the award. So this is the winners as voted by you. So the first category and the first award was team of the year. So the three nominations were the red roses, the women's, um, the English women's rugby team, the black ferns, which is the women's sevens, New Zealand women's sevens team, and then the, the spring box and the winner for those at home voted by you was the spring box. So well done to South Africa, you take it out as team of the year for 2023. Ando, any thoughts on that one?
1: I'm really glad you have a photo of even Etzebeth there before he got the horrific haircut on the celebration night after they won the Rugby World Cup. Um, Look, I think it's very well-deserved. Part of me wants to see the Red Roses get it, but they did not win their Rugby World Cup previously, or that was last year. Um, It was, for me the fact that this is now two in a row for the Springboks and they are the first team to ever win the Rugby Cup four times. So they are making history in many ways, shapes and forms. And a lot of people, myself included, had uh, written them off before the competition had begun and uh, maybe even 12, 18 months ago. I didn't think they were in the shout. But proved us wrong, proved me wrong. Congratulations. Named the Team of the Year of Incredibly Prestigious uh, Award for them. So well done.
2: All right. Now, our next category is uh, Player of the Year. So, the nominations were Sia Khaleesi from South Africa, Marley Packer from England, uh, and Adi Saveya from New Zealand. Now, Ando, which way do you think this one went? Which way are you hoping it went?
1: Um, I'm hoping it went Adi because I'm the one that was talking him up. So, very, very hoping it was him. He's also nominated the uh, World Rugby's Player of the Year too. So, it'll be interesting to see how the dice have fallen in terms of our audience. Well, the award does go to Artie Surveyor. So the people
2: have voted. Ando, you've won this one. Uh, the- Artie has won Whee! not only World uh, world Rugby Player of the Year, but in some ways probably a, a more sought after award is the pick and drive Eddies. So well mm-hmm. done to Artie. I- I'm sure he'll yep. be very thrilled to have won this award.
1: Completely agree. Congratulations, Artie. You're an absolute machine. And I uh, cannot wait to see more of you. <laughs> He's going to be playing in Japan Japanese rugby next year. He's going to like eat up some of those tiny Japanese scrum halves. Uh, I feel for them.
2: I guess my only suggestion to Artie moving forward is maybe let's keep the throat slitting too when you do the haka and not on the field when you're um, talking to other opposition players. So you can work on that. That'd be great. Thanks, yep. Artie. Uh, now, the, la- the next category is try of the year. So we've got three cat- uh, nominations here. So the first one was Marika Corabetti against the Springboks. That was the opening try for the Wallabies in 2023 under Eddie Jones. That was in the Rugby Championship. We then have Eva Carpani against Wales in WXV1. And then the final nomination was Rodrigo Mata for Portugal against Fiji in the Rugby World Cup. Now that was the try that ended up getting them the victory uh, for that game. So that was a really big uh, moment in Portugal's history at a Rugby World Cup. So the winner for this one is Eva Carpani
1: against Wales
2: in WXV1.
1: Mate, I'm incredibly excited about this. Now, I just want to say that the Portuguese try is an excellent try. Really, really impressive in, and in terms of their national story, um, incredible. Incredible that they were able to beat Fiji at the Rugby World Cup. So well done, excellent shout. But for me, the story around Eva Carpani's try here and what it meant for both the Wallaroos within that match, being down to 13 players, picking up the ball off the back of a mall and then literally being able to run through three players. Um, the, the, reserve scrum half, the number eight and another back that was coming over to cover, gets through three of them on her own to score the try to then put the Wallaroos in an opportunity to come back and win the game. Now, that in and of itself is amazing. Like, well done, Eva. But when you take into account what that meant for both the Wallaroos in terms of finishing their season and for Jay Tregoning to go out on a high as the Wallaroos coach and somebody who's poured his heart and soul into the wallaroos the the narrative and the storyline around that single try grows and grows so i love that our audience has been able to um both see the quality in a try and the narrative to and reward eva with this award so well done eva kapani
2: and as i reported last week i think i said in the podcast it was 15 meters that she carried for the line when in actuality it was probably <laughs> four three or four uh reports coming out of Wallaroo's <laughs> camp is that it was um, three basketball fields that she had to carry with 12 players off her back. So yep. she's done very well to get a yep. uh, try of the year there. Now, our next category is breakout player of the year. So the three nominations were Simeone Kurovoli from Fiji, Marnie Labock from South Africa, and then Caitlin Hulse from Wallaroo's and uh, New South Wales Waratah's W team. Now, Ando, which one do you think is the lucky winner of our breakout player of the year?
1: Look, I want it to be Caitlin Hulse. It wouldn't surprise me if it's Marnie Libok because he did have a stellar season for the Boc-ies. Um, But, I mean, everybody loves a flying Fijian. So, let's see how it comes up. The winner is Simeone Kurovoli oh. for Fiji. And he has been an
2: incredible player this season. Uh, he has he did make his debut for Fiji in 2020, but this year for the the Indrua and then the way he's played for Fiji through this world cup. And then his performance last week for the Barbarians, um, a very justified winner of breakout player of the year.
1: Completely agree. And let's go into our last category, which is coach of the year.
2: Yeah, so final award for the Eddies 2023 is coach of the year. Three very, very worthy can nominations and candidates here. So the first one is Simon Rao Aloui. Uh, Fijian head coach then we've got Ronan O'Gara Lara Shell's head coach there and then we can't go past Scott Robinson from the Crusaders so and uh, I know who your nomination was but who would if you couldn't pick your one who do you think you'd love to see win this award
1: oh look I'd like to see Simon win it just because of what he has put in in what's traditionally like the coaching the Pacifica teams is often really difficult because of some of the politics behind the scenes and often funding and infrastructure issues as well. So it can be, it can be really difficult from that perspective. Um, But I just really hope Scotty Robertson doesn't get it because those sunglasses are an abomination (laughs) and nobody who wears those should be um, given an award like this. So let's, let's see what comes out in the wash, mate.
2: All right. And the winner is Simon Raya Alui from Fiji. So Well done to Simon there. Woo, Fijians. He's had an incredible season and seeing his rise from sort of forward coach for the Wall- Wallabies in 2019 to director of rugby with Fiji and in Drua, and then now into head coach for them. And seeing how he has shaped that program and taken them to the heights of the World Cup in 2023 has been fantastic to see. What is lined up next for him? We're not yet sure be fantastic to see him stick within the coaching ranks in Australian rugby in some capacity. So I hope we don't lose him to the system. He is coming home um, back to Brisbane to be closer to his family and spend some time with them, which is very um, sought sought after and and justified. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, he has said that he's got something lined up. What that is, we don't know. But if RA were to come knocking, whether he might have um, some other thing to say would be really interesting to see what are you what are your thoughts there
1: endo yeah look very interesting to see what kind of comes out from here um i do like the the, the the opportunity that australian rugby might have to get someone with his recent experience and kind of um the, what's the right word kind of the charisma or the the standing within the Just game professional, that he has like the professionalism him, that he ranks yeah yeah, yeah, good point. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see what comes up for him. But at the same time, like he has said a few times on the platform formerly known as Twitter, he um, definitely has sacrificed a lot to be coaching the Fijian team. He needs more opportunity to be with his family and with his kids, there for birthdays, significant life events. Um, yeah, so I hope whatever it is gives him time to be able to do those things well.
2: Well, he's very rightly. Um... One coach of the year in the 80s for 2023 from peak and Drive. And um, he's beaten out some very good competition as well. So, well done to Simon. Now, there were some criticisms that came in on our social media when we did put up our polls and our nominations. And a lot of people were asking why World Cup winning coaches weren't nominated. And do you have anything to say to that?
1: Because <laughs> who's the bloody coach of the Springboks? Is it Nanabar or is it um, Razzie? Like, we couldn't have two of them up. Um, so uh, who's the coach? Isn't Razzie the director of rugby? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and like,
2: is it the director of rugby is the coach or is it the, um, the physio nine bar? So, you know, who knows there, but
1: yeah. Yeah. Who body knows? And like, why is it if Razzie isn't the coach, why is he in the coach's box giving orders to, um, people on game days and during matches and stuff like that. Why isn't Ninobay doing it? Um so yeah, look, I just think that whole situation is a bit of a farce. And I um I hope that Jacques now, as he's stepping back from that role, has an opportunity to uh step into a role that is his and his alone to carve a path for himself. Um but then again I'm not the biggest fan of Razi as is, you can probably tell. So that's why he wasn't on it.
2: Yep, that's right. Well, thanks everyone for voting for those winners. Congratulations to everyone that did win that. Unfortunately, our budget doesn't allow for us to get nice shiny little trophies made and sent out to all of you. But if we can somehow reach out and get you on the podcast in the future, we will do everything we possibly can to make that happen. Uh, Very much looking forward to seeing how this segment can grow and shape in coming years and, and
1: what other categories we could be talking about come this time in 2024. And as we finish this up, I do just want to say as a quick reminder that the current holders of the Utrecht Shield are the Wallaroos. And as a reminder, that is tracking back every single winner. So um, from the very first game of women's Test Rugby that was played, the Shield has been passed to the winning team in each subsequent match and the Wallaroos are now the holders of it after their win over um. Uh, not over Wales, over over France previously. And so they're holding on to it now and they're going to have it for a while because they're not going to have any matches for a few months. So good on them. Enjoy that and enjoy the notoriety.
2: Fantastic. Well, that finishes up the awards for 2023. Let's keep moving with the podcast because we do have more to cover. Let's go. Let's go. We're recording, so we'll go in three, two, one. (laughs) I'm going to clap again. (laughs) All right. Okay, now we're going to talk about the Hamish McLennan interview that Nick McArdle sat down with uh, earlier this week on Stan Sports. Now, this was a pretty interesting interview and there's a, a fair few talking points that I think have come out of it and you've um you've got an opinion i think everyone who's watched this has an opinion and whether you liked McLennan going into it or you loathed him going into it you come out of it with definitely an opinion whether it's a good thing or a bad thing there's definitely opinions in this so let's let's just dive into it what what were your overall thoughts of this interview
1: mate i got to say um my respect for nick mccardle's gone up even more I think the fact that he was cut from Fox Sports back in a day and um, Stan was then able to pick him up, he is, in my mind, one of the best presenters and just sports uh, rugby interviewees or, or or personalities within the game because he's, of his ability to be personable but direct and professional all at the same time. Um, so there are a few points that I wish that uh, Nick had been able to push a bit further on uh, and maybe drive home a bit more, but he didn't shy away from uh, many, many challenging questions. And he actually kind of called him a bunch of times on, no, no, that's not what I'm asking. And let's get back to the question that I actually asked, which which I really respected and liked because it, it was it must have been an interesting balance being an interviewer from the sports broadcaster that basically this, the person you're interviewing is the main sports platform, uh, sports, sport on your platform.
2: There was a real sense of, uh, well, for my, for me personally leading into this trepidation around where this conversation was going to go. And as you so rightly highlighted, Nick McArdle went in swinging from the very first, uh, very first question that he asked, he asked Hamish a loaded question and, and said, whose decision was it to appoint Eddie Jones? And then McClendon sort of fumbles a little bit and answers the question. But Nick McArdle didn't pull any punches, I didn't think, Mm. and ask the questions that we wanted to hear. It could have been very easy for them to to ask questions or ask things in a way that painted the RA administration in a better and brighter light, considering they are the official broadcaster partner, they are, you know, they're in business with Rugby Australia, they want to make their game look good. They want the product to flourish to for them to then, you know, get that return. But you could definitely tell that Mikado was even pushing and and just his, his, um his background in the game, the fact that he's been in it so long, he's lived through the World Cup broadcast through it. Uh, the questions that he was asking, mm. he really did push McLennan in places and said, Oh, hold on, hold on. That's actually not, that's not the right thing to say. Like, were you over budget And and pushed him in those those areas, which was really, really interesting to see. Yep. What were your thoughts on how Hamish answered the questions or um, some of the key things that were the takeaways?
1: Yeah, look, it um it's it's really hard. So there's this podcast that I listen to called The Rest is politics and On it, there was a really good moment a couple of weeks ago where the two presenters or hosts were talking about why politicians will dodge answers and not actually answer a question directly. And what the the more media savvy guy was basically like, it's a lose-lose situation if you answer it directly, because if you're direct and honest, then you're going to get quoted and it's going to look really bad for your party. And there's an element here where I think Hamish was in a pretty tough spot where he needed to take some level of personal and organizational responsibility for the crap show that Australian rugby is in in 2023. But he also was trying to understandably avoid making headlines at the same time that could be used to further denigrate rugby Australia and rugby union within Australia. So he he was in a tough situation there were a bunch of times where he gave wishy-washy non-answers to nick's questions a few of those times nick called him on it and kind of restated or changed the angle slightly which which i did value but yeah look it's one of those ones where you're never really going to be wholly satisfied by what comes out regardless because mclennan has to be savvy to the media like he, he's aware of the dynamic he lives in. So he's going to be avoiding giving those kind of powerful dynamic sound bites.
2: There are already some headlines, as you said, they tried to stay away from creating headlines in this interview, but there were ones that came out of it. Uh, the one that jumps to mind was that they were over budget. They mm-hmm. were potentially millions of dollars over budget um, for the World Cup. And that even when Nick pressed Hamish on, you know, who allowed that, like, Was there no accountability held of saying, you know, you are spending too much on something and on reflection, do you think that was the wrong decision? He, Hamish doubled down and said, no, I don't think it was, you know, we wanted to give the coaching setup the amount of resources they needed to succeed. And the biggest one for mine was that looking at the appointment of Eddie Jones and the sacking of Dave Rennie, he said, if those circumstances happened again, would I do the same thing? Yeah, I probably would. Knowing yep. how it had turned out, and I mean, no, no, he, I think that, that was point, just, sorry. I'm, I don't just think that was jump the right in. answer.
1: That that point that he made was not knowing how it turned out, but it was kind of like if you were in the same position again, he was like, "Well, yeah, I would make the same same decision," because you're like we're looking at this with the benefit of hindsight, knowing the, like the dumpster fire that it is now. But Hamish obviously like couldn't have known that at the time, A- and the board obviously. What did you think about his? Um, He's trying to share responsibility with the board about decisions that were made there's a part of me that goes yeah like i get it the board definitely is going to be a part of those decisions but you've put yourself in front of the media so much and said so much about um where rugby needs to be and what you're doing within that space and and been a very public figure. It's interesting that now when there's some responsibility that needs to be taken, he's sharing that a bit more than we've seen previously.
2: Yeah. And I thought he also sort of contradicted himself a fair bit too, when he was sort of saying, first of all, in the beginning of it, when Mikhail was asking him, you know, who made the decision? Was this a captain's call? He said, no, I don't think that's fair. It wasn't a captain's call. The board, we made it together. There was fears of how the Wallabies were progressing under Dave Rennie, and that was shared amongst the board Mm. together. He said, I, I, as McLennan, I did pursue Eddie and I was um, important in, in signing him as the Wallabies coach. But it was a, you know, maybe not unanimous, but it was a decision met by everyone on the board to go with Eddie Jones. And then they start to talk about some of the achievements. So bringing on Cadbury as sponsors, uh, signing with Stan Sport, all of the different things that have happened since McLennan has been chairman. And he didn't, he didn't sort of say that. Like he he tried to kind of say the board were, and the, the members of the board and the different members in the association were helpful in that decision, but he also did contradict himself and said, well, you know, I was integral in those discussions. I was deep and, and front and center in all yep. of those, but there was lot big lots of people helping me. So it's like, you can't, you can't sort of shift the blame and say it was a board decision, but then at the same time, yep. try and say that the, the good things were you as well like I love to take
1: such a good can't question take both such a good question from Nick um, and I mean I've got a few points so I might just quickly rattle through about where I wish the conversation had gone as well then maybe if you want to jump on any of those or or say your own areas that you th- wish it had gone for me I wish there had been more of a push about how the conversation about centralization being uh, the, the foundational cause of the problems that the wall- Wallabies are facing at the moment is the reason why the Wallabies did how they did. That's only come out recently and so it's interesting that the blame is being shifted from eddie towards these foundational or structural issues within the australian rugby landscape when that wasn't a conversation under eddie jones like sorry dave dave rennie why didn't dave rennie get this leeway in terms of why his results were so poor why weren't we talking about the issues of centralization or pathways or high performance um, alignment when dave rennie was in charge because it it was exactly the same. No change has been there. So that's the first one. I wish there'd been more push on that point. Secondly, on what centralization uh, looks like in more detail than what he provided about kind of aligning high performance frameworks. Um, And then a bit more about director of rugby and head coach and how that dynamic needs to be working together into the future, the type of dynamic or role that those different positions would have considering where Australian rugby is right now. And then lastly, the push I wish had been there was, well, Eddie Jones was touted as being somebody that would be able to add value into the women's rugby space. And that was a complete failure. Is that yet another indication of the lack of value that Rugby Australia has been paying towards women's rugby over the last five plus years? That would have just been a ripper question I wish it come up, but Maybe it would have been a little bit too direct for the difficult (laughs) dynamic Nick was in.
2: Yeah, I don't think that's the type of question that Nick would be able to say from the stand sport perspective. Like, I don't Mm. think that they're allowed to go out out there and and sort of highlight the fact that RA haven't been putting enough um, resources and attention into the women's program, even though we've said it and and it's everyone who watches women's sport can see that that is the error and what needs to be fixed pretty quickly moving forward. Um, I, one of the things I would have liked to have seen, uh, or the areas I would have liked Mikhail to push through is just how the dynamics of the board works. Like yeah. who makes the decisions? Like you're the chairman, but we've not heard from rugby Australia chairman in the past. Like we've had CEOs, we've had Raylene Castle, we had Bill Pulver, we had, we've had a number of them. We've got Phil War as the CEO, but you're the first chairman that's stepping up and fronting media and doing interviews like this. Why aren't we having this interview with Phil Wall? Yep. Why are we doing it with yourself? Like what what what's, what what's changed in the role when you took it on that allowed you to have so much control when in the past we sort of, it didn't appear like that? And how does this board operate? How does it work? Who are the people on it? The general rugby public, we don't know who the the makeup of the board is. Is there good rugby IP on there or not? There are one or two former Wallabies on the board, but there are also a few other business people who were there for their business acumen. And yet they're making key decisions in the appointment of coaches and the setup of centralization and systems in Australian rugby. Are they the right people to be making those decisions? Is that something that we could have pushed on a little bit and and got that uh, a little bit more uh, transparency there?
1: Mm, mm. And all really, really good questions. And it's, I think it just speaks to the challenge of the of how Nick found himself, like we already mentioned before, about interviewing the person who is heading up the organization that his company works directly with. So, a challenging one. So, I think Nick did quite well in that scenario. But then again, I am a Mr. McArdle fanboy and can't really go past that. So... I think, mate, that that's probably as comprehensive as we want to go into that part because we do have obviously a lot to cover. And I think it'd be great now if we jump into the Q and A. We get now to what is really my favorite part of our episodes when we do Q&A segments because we love having questions, having some comments and a bit of banter back and forth with you, our dear listeners. And before we go any further, Mitch, what (laughs) godforsaken AI hell are we looking at right now on the video feed?
2: Yeah, look, we're, um, we're, we're nearly stepping into the world of AI and some of the content that comes up and the creations that are made are pretty far left of field. So the prompt for this one was Eddie Jones talking on an old school telephone. So take with it what you will. That's meant to be Eddie Jones. There is a telephone there. Looks like he's talking to some kind of Blackberry, but <laughs> a little bit of Photoshop added in there as well.
1: Yeah, very, very good. So... um This is not some type of racial appropriation. Blame AI, not us. We are still improving in this space. But either way, let's jump in. The first couple of questions that we have (laughs) are actually ones that we received a a week or so ago. Um, We just wanted to recognize we hadn't had a QA and a sesh previously. So, yeah, thanks, thanks for your comments. Firstly, Connor. I'm not going to read um, this out loud because it's quite a long one. If you're watching us on YouTube, please feel free to pause this and take a quick look through. Basically, what Connor is speaking to is the need for long-term planning from Rugby Australia, and he points to the similar... Um, disaster that was Irish rugby in 2013 after a horrible six nations loss to Italy and they came up with a 10-year plan with clear checkpoints and ways in which they were going to be implementing the changes that they were looking for and I think that's what we are looking for Mitch within rugby Australia we're looking for that clear leadership in the long term like what can we do to put ourselves in the best uh, foot forward for 2027 obviously as a home rugby world cup but how does that fit within the longer-term program of restoring Australian rugby to being one of the top rugby nations within the world? That's that's what I'm looking for. Are you kind of on the same page as what Connor is putting out here?
2: Yeah, look, Connor's, uh, to Connor's credit, this is the first sort of structure we've seen anywhere reported of what centralization or a system could look like. Like RA has been very vocal in the past few weeks around this idea of centralization. Um, whatever you want to call it, uh, there was a few buzzwords being used, and then they were told they're not the right words to be using. Uh, but it doesn't, we're not really sure what that looks like. It's shifted away into, from centralization into um, an amalgamation of the high performance system and not sort of total control from RA. Uh, but like what kind of suggested here around having a clear path, having a clear step by step guide to where we need to be in the set timeframe, so 10 years. Reviewing that, making sure that we're looking at where we are along the way, have we hit those goals or not, what do we need to do to change it, the system or the plan to make sure we are achieving those goals, is just something we haven't had in this system and that's why the system isn't working to the most effective way it is and we're in this hole that Rugby Australia has found itself in.
1: Completely agree. Moving on to the next question or comment from Reid. Would love your thoughts about, on the pod about RA's responsibility in this whole debacle given Eddie's resignation. We've already spoken to that previously and have spoken a little bit about that when we went through the Hamish McLennan interview uh, earlier in the pod. So, Reid, thank you so much for that question. I guess and one point, really point I would
2: say that um, yep. one thing I would say on this point around RA and, and it comes out of that interview that Hamish McLennan has made, it baffles me that McLennan and War have both said on various formats and various different interviews, we've never asked Eddie what's coming next. We never asked him if he interviewed for Japan. We don't think he's going there. He's definitely going there. It's just, it's, it's going to happen. This doesn't happen if he hasn't interviewed with Japan and he hasn't lined it up. So yep. I believe that it is in their best interests to have asked these questions to kind of figure out why this, this review that's coming up, why our World Cup campaign was so bad. And that is their responsibility. So that's what they need to do.
1: Yep. Yeah, really good comment. And I'll just add my quick one cent or two cents there. I do think it's an absolute cop-out that Eddie Jones hasn't been asked as well. Um, Hamish McLennan's reasons on the interview. were, Well, we're covering old ground. He's already denied it in interviews and like previously. Mate, you're his freaking employer. You're his boss. Ask your employee whether or not he has potentially broken contract or not. And if he lies to you, then at least you find out in a wash that he lied to you. But it's just, it just baffles me. Absolutely baffles me. All right. Moving into the next question. And on that point too, like, and we won't stick too much
2: on this, but on that point as well, the stuff that Eddie Jones is now saying in the media, so he's left, he's resigned, he's still contracted until the 25th of November. So at the time that we record, he is still an employee of Rugby Australia. He's still being paid by Rugby Australia under that contract. Now if he goes and does interviews while he's coaching the Barbarians and says things about how the players aren't fit enough and the system's not good enough and rugby Australia's not going to get where it needs to go and I can't work in a system like that. Like he needs th- there needs to be some kind of clause or something put on him to stop saying so so much damaging things about rugby Australia now that now that he's gone. Like you're still being paid by them. Mm. Stop stop dragging their name, stop dragging our name through the mud.
1: Yep, 100%. All right, just on a couple of things, this is Shane Orr. on Eddie Jones, he I'm going to be even more cynical about him. I believe he was offered an offer. He couldn't refuse from Japan before the World Cup and basically tanked the whole situation from there. I'm summarizing a few points here. Then number two, on the Wallaroos, they play the game as it's supposed to be played. Good chop tackling technique and with continuity. Their game is going to get non-rugby people watching because it's how rugby was meant to be played and it's exciting to watch. Look, there's a lot there that I completely agree with from the Wallaroos' perspective. I see entirely why you could be more cynical about what Eddie Jones um, has done within his tenure over the last um, few, couple of months. Personally, I've got his books on my bookshelf behind me about leadership and and about his life within rugby, and I would hope he is a better human being from what I've read within those books than what you're putting forward as that. It's a bit of a conspiracy theory mm. there, I'm going to say, um, but I can see why you got there. I can see where you got there. So I personally hope that he's a better human being than that. Mitch, quick comments on those. Yeah,
2: I, I believe that he has signed and um, I think it's going to be announced pretty soon. Uh, the way that he's gone about leaving Rugby Australia and he's now starting to drip feed comments to the to the media and sort of changing the narrative to be like, oh, well, no, I haven't interviewed with Japan yet if they came to me and offered me a job would i be interested previously he said no now he's saying yes so of course you're saying yes because you've already signed a contract you he (laughs) i believe he will be announced as japan's head coach in coming weeks uh why they would do that no idea why anyone would sign eddie jones now no freaking idea i don't think he has the rugby knowledge or the motivation to turn teams around um and the way that he's handled this whole australian thing is just beyond any uh, repairable um, character profile for mine. So, yeah, I think he's definitely tanked his whole view in Australian rugby. And the the less we talk about Eddie from 2024, the better.
1: Simon asks, honest answer, boys. If you're Marky Mark and you've just been part of the biggest fast a season the Wallabies have had in a long time, you're in your prime, you have options. Would you sign with Aussie rugby as it stands right now? No coach, chairman who's lost the rugby public, no sign of centralization happening to align provincial and national programs. Would you do it if you were him? Uh, yeah, yeah, probably would. Um, just because the payday for 25 and 27 is gonna be pretty significant. And he can then go offshore after 27 and earn mega bucks in Japan or France and he'll earn more than he could in rugby league um he may not have the same domestic profile that might set him up for gigs in i don't know media or press after like he might in rugby league but yeah i still think it's a better option uh in terms of um career opportunities moving forward to be staying in rugby union but then again i'm massively biased and i don't like league so that's me i think there's a little bit more of this
2: Tail to come out and um it there is information starting to emerge now from the players since eddie's gone around what kind of the culture was and what Mm. the the vibe was in the camp under eddie jones and from all reports it was pretty vile like it was pretty low the players weren't happy they weren't comfortable and they definitely weren't in an environment that was conducive to their development so for a young player who has the potential to be a world 15 player in the coming years whether he thinks that he's going to get that development rugby Australia I could understand why he's sitting here and saying probably not if he goes across to league and plays a few years there he will be developed as a player yes he won't be playing um, international rugby he won't be playing um, Bledisloe Cups or World Cups or British and Irish Lions but he might be playing you know state of origin he might be playing Whatever it is, he'll be developed as a player. He then can then come back in a few years and and try and um, cash in on that, and then look at going in France in you know five, six, seven years time when he's sort of getting to the end of his career. So there is, I think, a lot to be said around what what um, impact Eddie Jones has had on the players and their their psyche and their um, mental health as well. Uh, yeah, I think we just have to wait and see what happens with yep. sort of players. Re signing to Rugby Australia uh, yep. post 2024.
1: Agreed. All right. The world of Ando asks, how long until Scrumbag starts commentating on Stan Sport Rugby? Um, the world of Ando also asks, when will Mitch Foster 93 come out and admit he's a fair weather rugby supporter? And Mitch, what do you say to that, to the rugby loving public out there who see you just constantly chopping and changing teams? First, you were a Waratahs supporter. Then you were a Queensland Reds supporter. First, you were a Wallabies supporter. Now you're a Saffa. you're a Boki. And what's, what's next? Are you going to drop the Wallaroos and pick up the Black Ferns? What is this absolute debacle that you are putting forward about supporting a team, uh, rain, hail, or shine?
2: No, I, I don't think that I can be classified as a fair-weather rugby supporter. I think I should be classified as the ultimate Australian fan. Now, take mm-hmm. away the South African Springboks side, and that was because the Wallabies didn't get out of the pools and we had to have something <laughs> on someone to talk about in the podcast since the last pool game of the World Cup. Uh, I support teams that are doing well. So not just in that the War- I support the Waratahs because they're good, but I've started supporting the Melbourne Rebels when they started to, to get momentum, supported the Queensland Reds when they pushed through to... Um, their title in in 2022, was it now? The Super Rugby, yeah, you... Like, 2020? I'm just a, an Australian rugby fan. 2021, yeah, 2021. I'm an Australian rugby fan first and foremost. And so if there's an Australian rugby team, bar probably the Brumbies, because for some reason, I just can't seem to get on that bandwagon, um, that is doing well, I'm happy to put uh, put their... Fly their flag for the podcast. I, I know that you're a, a pretty... Hard and stand and fast Waratahs supporter. We've got the Reds covered with Lockie, so uh, I'm bringing in the the flair from the other the teams to to fly that flag as well.
1: Yeah, very well said. I mean, look. I still think you're a fair weather supporter, but we'll move on. Uh, Mitch Foster asks, "When will the world of Ando admit he watches the <laughs> rugby more for the male eye candy than the action on a field?" Look, um, one of the one of the really foundational things on this podcast is the belief that people can think two things at the one time or have have two things that may look as though they oppose each other but still be true um so for example i can be a massive wallaby supporter but still appreciate some quality play or players from the all blacks Uh, i can love the waratahs but still appreciate the brumbies for who they are and what they bring to australian rugby and i can love to watch rugby for the spectacle of the actual rugby that's being played but also the quality of the human that is playing it as well. So sorry for being a complex <laughs> individual that can hold two things at once, mate. I'm not just a simpleton. All right. Now moving on, Tim Foster. What does Welliseo <laughs> have to do to get back into the Wallabies? He's by far Australia's best player at 10. Um, Mitch, what do you say to your to your brother there? Is is Noah Wellasillo by far Australia's best number 10?
2: That's probably the that's probably the one part of that question that I don't 100% agree with I don't think he's by far the best player at 10 he's probably neck and neck currently with Carter Gordon which puts him up there as the two best options in Australian rugby at the moment what he needs to do to get back into the Wallabies in 2024 geez that's a that's a pretty tough question I think it's hard to answer that at the moment knowing well not knowing who the Wallabies coach is going to be in 2024 if we do go with Stephen Larkham, you would imagine that there would be a fair backbone of Brumby's players that makes up that squad in 2024. If we go with someone else completely, we bring back Michael Checker for example, you know, he's coached the Waratahs. he's he's a he's a Randwick boy at heart. You probably expect to see players like Will Harrison probably get a, a push into the squad over um a player like Lalesio. So what he needs to do though to to put his name up there, he needs to consistently perform each week in 2024 and he needs to have consistent yep. Improvement and push um, all opposition, not just the Australian opposition, but the Kiwis, the Fijians, and Moana Pacifica as well. He just needs to clearly put his hand up so that when it comes to that first squad naming, we're saying Lalesio's been brilliant this year. So has Carter Gordon. They both need to be named in this squad. We can't be saying that one player is better than the other. They both need to be out and out picks um, for that coaching staff.
1: Yeah, look, I think for my mind, he's got to. A- Start for the Brumbies each week, and there's no guarantee of that. Considering how well Ryan Wanakin and Jack Debrasini did at lots of points last year, throughout the 2020 or this year, throughout the 2023 season, um, so that will be the hardest point. He's he's not a nailed-on starter for the Brumbies, and that will be fascinating to see how that develops under Stephen Larkham at this point down in Canberra. But why don't we keep on rolling on within our questions? And the next question or comment that we have comes from... I think that's our last question. Oh, is that the last question? Brilliant. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's all we got. Okay. We didn't answer the one
2: about scrumbags commenting on Stan Sports, though, and that's a great shout. I think we've seen some great coverage over this weekend of the Oceana Sevens, and Lockie has been there doing his thing for rugby.com.au. So it's only a matter of time, really, until we see Lockie... You know, grace our airwaves on Stan Sport in the coverage that's coming up for the sevens in the off season.
1: He did say that this may not be the thing for him because he has a face for radio, um, not a face for TV. So that is something that he needs to obviously work on and maybe um, see what he can do within that kind of within that kind of beauty space there to, to work on that. But hey, hey, there's <laughs> there's a lot of new opportunities. Hey, look, if Morgan
2: he can get often. a geek Justin Harrison, then God,
1: Justin Maybe Harrison Justin Harrison more yep. so. Yep. If he can get a gig. Yeah. Uh then anyone can. All you've got to do is just growl <laughs> heaps, is what I have learned. And also if you're copying um, the mic. if you're copying sean maloney you've just got to repeat the player's name who's doing something well like in ever increasing levels of excitement and then extend the vowel at the end of the name if you can so it's like tupo 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 is in for the try it's just you just know that <laughs> is his trademark so i reckon lucky <laughs> there's my tip for you just just repeat the names of players that are doing great things um well ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for your questions and comments that have come in so far um mitch this kind of brings us to the end of the podcast mate it's it's it seems a little bit bittersweet a little bit odd to uh for me have been away for a little bit over the last couple of weeks and then come in and wrap things up for 2023
2: yeah it's been a really big year of rugby as we kind of said in the intro that the, the ups and downs, the, the highs have been high and the, the lows have been very low. Uh, yeah, it's been a lot to cover, a lot of ups and downs. This is probably the earliest that we've ever wrapped up a podcast in the last four years. I'm pretty yeah. sure at this time, normally the Wallabies are heading off on their uh, their northern tour uh, of the Northern Hemisphere and the home nations. So we usually have a few more weeks of rugby content to cover before we have a, a few days off, as, as happened this year, before we're back into previewing squads and things for Super Rugby Pacific the following mm. year. So um, we might be back in your in your podcast feeds. Just keep an eye out, keep an eye on our socials. We, we are going to try and see if we can line up an interview or two with some players uh, in the next few weeks while we don't have to do our regular podcasts. If we are successful in doing that, we'll let you know via our socials. So do keep an eye on those. Um, we'll be wanting your questions if we do line that up. So do make sure that you're keeping an eye on that and sending those questions in. Uh, We will also then start off 2024 like we have the past few seasons with our previews of all the Super Rugby Pacific squads, primarily the Australian-based ones. Um, And, yeah, hopefully we can line up some great interviews there as well and and talk to some coaches and some captains uh, and, yeah, really get a a big deep dive into what the landscape looks like for 2024. We have had some teams already announced. or We've actually had all squads announced um so far this week uh we have chosen not to go into that into too much detail this podcast will save that for 2024 uh but hopefully we'll have a lot more to talk about when we're back in your ears then
1: very excited mate well thank you for what's been a good year and i do just want to shout out lucky at this point um lucky came on part way through the year to join us as a regular part of the pick and drive team. And we have absolutely loved having his passion and insight and camaraderie as a part of our duo. We've been doing this for a while, Mitch, and I love you, mate, but it's nice to have somebody else as well just to shift up the dynamic. Yeah. And I'm sure you feel the same. Um, exactly. So, Lockie, thank you so much for joining us and looking forward to more in 2024. All right, all the best, team. Have a wonderful Chrissy and New Year's break. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.